I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. In this episode, we're going to be talking about depression with guest Matt Trexler. Matt is the RUF campus minister at UCLA. How is it that our culture can accept the failure of almost any bodily organ, lung or liver failure, but not accept the failure of the most complex organ of all, which is the brain? Why is that a different category? While good work is being done, mental health still carries a stigma in modern Western society. Sadly, struggles such as depression, anxiety, personality disorders sometimes receive even greater censure in the church. Matt Trexler is passionate about faith and mental health, so when it comes to subjects related to the church that no one wants to talk about, I'm grateful he wanted to come on here and talk about this with us. I remembered your sermon it was the one on depression. Okay. We had a great, you had many great, great quotes. But the one that I really liked was you said, culture is, is comfortable with the failure of any organ in the body. Yes. But we are not comfortable with the failure of the most complex organ, the brain. And so I think like talking about mental health totally fits <laughs> because of a lot of... Yeah just damaging messages we get about it. There's like the extreme, extreme versions of just like, you shouldn't see a counselor and the Bible is yeah. sufficient for everything. And, and then no Bible at all, no Jesus at all, no, no spirituality at all. Right. So everything mm-hmm. in between. So we can cover everything in between. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Et cetera. Oh yeah. Maybe you can just talk about mental health and what you're experiencing with people during COVID. Yeah. I mean, so I don't remember if I said in the sermon, I actually struggle with depression. So that's part of my story has been for as far back as I can remember. It's in my family as well. And so I think that it has been triggered again during the quarantine. And I think I said, you know, like I'm very introspective. And so it can kind of look like I just overanalyzing everything. I kind of get sucked down into like the labyrinth of my soul. Some Christian writers in the past hundred years have called it being a navel gazer, meaning you're always just kind of looking down inward at yourself. And, you know, I mean, that's just, that's a very imprisoning type feeling. And sometimes we can't help that, you know? I mean, like part of that's just some of times our disposition and sometimes how we're, we're made. Like even during the, you know, I think the middle ages, they called it the melancholic disposition, right? And so we just have that. And like, I have that. And it's exacerbated during quarantine. And I know that I'm not alone in that. Like, I know that a lot of people have felt that. And I don't know, I think it can take on an even deeper aspect when you're a Christian in some ways, because you have all of, oh, you just have all of this. Well, I mean, you can also be very scrupulous about everything to where it's just like, did I say the right prayer? Did I believe hard enough? Did I believe rightly enough? Did I really do this enough? Did I forgive enough? You know, or whatever that means. Like that can also become like a bludgeoning tool sometimes. And, and we, depression almost in some ways feeds off guilt. And it feeds off this deep spiritual perfectionism, which is impossible for us. And it takes our eyes off of Christ and all that he is for us. And yeah, you're right. When you look at your heart and your soul, which we do have to do sometimes, 
But to do that overly and overanalyze, you're just asking for <laughs> despair, you know? And, and also it just brings up also not only our own sin, but like sin done towards us, especially if we're victims of abuse and sin. Things that we thought were far back in our minds kind of come rearing back up to the surface, triggered in whatever way, and we're forced to relive it again and again and again. And I mean, when you're not with other people and when you're, you know, like we're all right now in the quarantine sometimes, it can be very, very, very painful and very difficult. Yeah. I know that was a lot. That's great. What are some things that you are personally doing to navigate during this season? I mean, I have to talk to other people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, said that the, the word of Christ in our brother is stronger than the word of Christ in our own heart. And sometimes, like, my understanding of the gospel, my understanding of what Christ has done, who he is, is so diminished that I have to talk to someone else. And so, like, I regularly call and talk to people. And, and there's, like, a few people. Right? I'm not doing this to everybody. But I spill my – I have a few people in my arsenal who I totally trust. I'm like, I'm spilling my guts. I'm Your telling gut you. Spiller I'm friends. Telling, I'm a, yeah, I have my gut spiller friends. I will tell them everything no matter what. You know, like, just even what other people have said. Even if it's, like, I'm dealing with another person. And, yeah, everything from my own failures to things that have been done against me manipulation wise or whatever throughout my life. And I've got to talk that out with other people because I can't do that on my own. I just, I just can't. And so navigating that looks like I need people praying for me. And, and I'm talking about these are people who are people I trust. I know their words. I know their heart. I know they love the Lord. I know they have my best interest and they're going to help navigate that because they themselves have been through way probably deeper suffering than I have. So yeah. That's one way I'm navigating it. And I think the other one is, you know, not being afraid to pray the Psalms. And the Psalms are pretty raw, and the Psalms can be pretty dark, and the Psalms can be things that we would never say in a church. We would never say in the American church. We would never say, you know, we would be afraid to say in our own spiritual life, but these people just say it. They just fill their guts. They just vomit it out. Sorry to use that word, but vomit it out before God. And uh, you know what? The Lord can take it. He can. He actually invites it. And I think just praying that and it just letting it be messy and just being like, this is how I feel. And just letting it be that. And so and allowing the Lord, you know, Martin Luther said, pray and let God worry about it. Just, just like, here you go. So yeah, that's yeah. a few things. Yeah. That raises two questions for me. Yeah. One is, how does someone get to a place where they are comfortable being that honest with God? Because I know that that's a hard thing. It's a very hard thing. And I very am very sense, very hard thing. And I'm sensitive to that because, let's say, well, we're talking about spiritual abuse, right? So that the voice of God for a lot of people has been warped horribly. And the word of God has been used as a bludgeoning tool. And it's been used to incite shame and fear and guilt. And it's your fault and all this kind of stuff. And it is very hard, even for, listen, 
for Christian believers to rightly hear what God's voice is really like. I think even for myself uh, as a pastor, I struggle with a voice. This, I call it, my counselor calls it the phantom God, right? The God who's like all the manipulation and all the stuff that even like from former people have said, all the fearful warped ways of talking about God have just gotten into me and created this like dark cloud, lowercase g God that I hear, you know, with my own sin and everything just kind of like beats me down. But it's just very hard to be very open and honest with God if you're afraid of him. And if you have a view of him that's been warped by spiritual abuse, you know? And so I think that Jesus is at pains in the New Testament and in the gospel to rightly show what God is like to his disciples because many of the people during that time had been deeply abused by the religious leaders. I think, for example, of one of my favorite passages, Matthew 11, where in, in that time in Second Temple Judaism, right, like the Pharisees would teach people the yoke of the Torah, which is a godly thing, but they would create it as a crushing burden that people could never live up to. And, and Jesus says, all right, well, come to me all who are having a really hard time of it. Those for whom the juice of life has been squeezed out and all is left is the rind. Those who are hard pressed, those who are weary, those who are just so sick of this, those who have just think God would utterly crush them, come to me. And I'll refresh your soul and learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you could translate that as, I'm really not going to give you a hard time. And you can just fall apart in my presence. And you can just let it all out. And I won't, I won't strike back. I'm not going to be the person that you fear that I am. And if we have a hard time viewing what God is like, I think that the New Testament teaches us to look at Jesus and say, well, what was he like? And who did he always take the side of? And who, who is he the friend of? Well, sinners and outsiders and the poor and the oppressed and victims and those who feel their sin very heavily or those who feel failure or those who have been sinned against. And I think if we have a hard time praying like that to God up in the heavens because of what we view of him, we can, we can look at Jesus and we can say, he can, we can hear him say, there's the only one place. And I just learned there's only one place in the whole new Testament where Jesus actually says what he's like, what his heart's actually like. And it's there in Matthew 11 when he says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You can be, you can rest assured that this is who I am. Well, people who think that it is impolite and improper and irreverent to speak to God in an angry way, Mm. Well, I think that is a very normal understanding, right? Especially if we've had a view of God that if he's just ready to strike you once you step out of line, that he is just like a policeman waiting to bear down hard on you, that he's just a judge who just loves to judge, you know, whatever you, whatever you want to think of this small petty God that we sometimes have in our imaginations. That's not the God we find even in the Old Testament which is the one that we fear the most sometimes, but it's like 
Elijah in the cave in first Kings 19. He just kind of lets it all out before God. He says, I trusted you. Like I was your pastor. Like I was your minister to Israel and you did not come through. Everything's wasted. Now people are trying to kill my life. Here I am out in a cave wanting to die. What are you going to do about it? And God does not strike him with fire, wind, or the earthquake. He comes with the still small voice, audible whisper, or Psalm 73. I mean, look at some of the Psalms. I mean, Psalm 88, like there's no, there's no rejoicing in God at the end. There's just, you have made me an enemy to my friends, which you could say kind of matches with quarantine 2020 is like now people in the street don't want to see me. I mean, you know, it's like, you just made me a pariah to everyone around me. And just if that's in the Psalter, that's in God's word, then God says it's okay to pray like that. And there are times when I'm praying the Psalms and I'm like, Whoa, I'm not bold enough to pray that. But Psalmist did. I think, I think God can take it. Not only can he take it, I think he secretly kind of likes it. I think he likes it when we just come to him and we just let it all out. We don't, we, we just be exactly who we are in his presence. We come just as we are and we just, we just belt it all. You know, we don't even know if we want to believe in him. We just, we just, you're like, you know, what's happened the last 20 years of my life. You know, what's I, mean? I, I don't even want to pray to you, but here's what I'm going to say. And you let it all out. I think he, I think he warmly invites that. I really do. I really do. Yeah. Or we can find ourselves in a place of maybe disequilibration when we're thinking probably in a in the season of life where we feel the most separated from god is the time at which we will be the most honest with god yet that might also be the time that he is closest to us in that moment yep of oh absolutely you said it beautifully extreme extreme pain when we feel furthest away he, he is close to the brokenhearted. He is near to the crushed in spirit. He got, Jesus, this is one of my favorite parts of the Gospels, is when you think, think about the Sermon on the Mount, okay, which we think of like as the Everest of demand. And there's love, there is, there's hard Everest there. of demand, I love yes. it, I love but it. But Dale Bruner, who's one of my favorite theologians, said that the Sermon on the Mount begins in Death Valley, right where we all live. And Jesus's first four Beatitudes, which are not wrongly as sometimes we learn in church, be these attitudes. No, 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 no. These are people who are in miserable conditions that God blesses. He says, the poor in spirit, not, oh, I've made myself humble enough, but like, I am spiritually a zero. I am, I don't even know if I have faith anymore. Like I am just, my spiritual life is a wreck. Blessed are you, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are brokenhearted, those who mourn. We could think about those who've been suffered, you know, who've been victims of injustice. You could think about people who mourn their own sin, people who are brokenhearted over even relationships in their life. Jesus doesn't say what they're mourning over. He just says those who mourn. And that could be for many reasons. I think Jesus's love is as wide as the world. And so he says, anyone who is really going through a hard time, you are closest in my hand in that moment. Blessed are you, you'll be comforted. Blessed are the little people of the earth. Blessed are the meek. That doesn't just mean like, oh, I'm meek. But that means like the homeless, those at the bottom of the ladder, those for whom the world doesn't look at, those for whom will be probably first on the last day because they're last now. And then also those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. 
those who have been victims of injustice, but also those who realize that they themselves are perpetrators maybe of injustice and feel it very painfully. Jesus says, you know, even you, you know, but like, I, I think that there's, Jesus meets us right wherever we're at. You know, he really does. And, and he can, those first four beatitudes, man, they cover the wor- most miserable conditions of all of us, if we're honest, or even of the world. And, and Jesus is saying, Hey, God's love, God's kingdom is for, is for you. No matter where you find yourself, God, and that's what blessed means. God's with you. Makarios, God with you. God's with you. And that's Jesus. So we can take it on good authority that that's what God's like. So that brings me to my second question. When you were sharing how one of the ways that you navigate depression is by speaking to other people and, and sharing everything with certain people that you trust, how might someone find people that they trust and how do they know that they're trustworthy? Mm. Yeah. I wouldn't open up to anybody. So the people who I've opened up to, I've known for a long time. I won't, one, I won't say their name of, but they've been, they were part of an abusive relationship for 20 years, spiritually manipulated, all kinds of stuff. And I know that this person's much older. They pray for my ministry and I know that they are scarily close to Jesus maybe even because of some of the things they've suffered and they've wrestled with it. So I trust that person very perfectly. The other person would be one of my former college professors who has gone through tremendous suffering himself. Like his wife had cancer for a while. He's become a huge mentor to me. He's a theologian, Kelly Capic. And I, I'll tell, yeah, I feel very safe telling them those things. And then another is just friends, other ministers, their campus ministers in RUF who I trust and know to kind of, carry my story who have carried it before that but yeah I mean I think if you're looking for people to trust it's people who people who you know like when you tell them your story and you tell them your pain they're not going to lecture you they're not going to turn it back on you they're going to take it and they're going to just listen and they're going to pray and they're going to love you and the best friends that I've ever had are not the ones who try to solve my problems. Okay. They don't try to solve my situations. In fact, they let me go on the journey myself. They let God take, cause that's the way the Lord works. The Lord doesn't just be like, here's my problem. Boom. Here's your answer. Get out of my sight. Like the Lord is with us as a companion on the way. And he, he allows us to feel those wounds and things. And he bears those wounds in his own body. And he's a slow worker. He's, he, his, Healing way is a weird way sometimes. And he just allows you just to let it all out and he can take it and he walks with you in it and he meets you in it. And sometimes we really are in the pit for a long time and um, he's right there with us in that. And he will bring us out. He will in his own time. But sometimes we learn some of the deepest things about Christ and about ourselves in the pit and he does not abandon us. And so we need friends like that. We need friends who are going to be in the pit with us. And they're going to hold our stories very gently and patiently. Yeah. The hold, the hold the story. And then you said earlier, carry the story. Yeah. It might be helpful if someone doesn't have someone they can trust or they're relearning how to trust after experiencing betrayal, especially in a faith-based community to, yeah. to test 
how do you carry my story with little things like slow and yeah and how do you carry it and how do you hold the story and then you can share more and I, I, yeah you just reminded me of something that a minister told me one time where he said just to test it out you don't want to like just barrage someone at the very beginning give them a penny a penny of vulnerability and see what they do with it and if they test if they receive it well and do well give them a nickel the next time and then a dime, then a quarter, then a dollar, and then more. But see what they do. You don't have to do it all at once. You can just give them a little bit and just, just see how they react to it. If their first impulse is, no, that's probably not what happened. You're probably just seeing it the wrong way. Or like, well, have you thought about your own sin in this? Or what, you know, it's like, if that's their immediate response, mm, it's okay. Just pass. <laughs> you know? Pass. Pass. It's okay. You can pass, you know? And you're like, you know what? I'm going to. It actually all right, helped me to love you better by not sharing this with you. But then you're going to find people who, man, they've been through some stuff and they've come out the other side or they're still working through it. And you tell them and they're just like, well, that was so not okay. That was abuse. That was not okay. What happened? Okay. That they dealt well with that. And you can kind of slowly keep moving forward, but it may take a while. And you may have to, I mean, you may have to do some like, I hate to call it like speed friending, but you know what I mean? Where you're just like, you're just like seeing slowly, like, you know, looking at people you're like, do I trust you? You know, it's like, and it's not like I don't want to be your friend. Did you but handle like, my story well over yeah. coffee? Let me see. And, and it's not that they're a bad person. It's just that like, you know what? Maybe they're not mature enough to handle it. And that's okay. Maybe they're Very true. infants in their own faith. And like, you know, they can't be where they've met. They, people can only go with you so far as they've gone themselves sometimes, you know? And so it's like, go, like teleporting. Yeah, it's like teleporting. You can only yes. go someplace you've been before. Exactly. <gasps> Vulnerability is like teleporting. I what? love that. I like it more like Harry Potter apparating. But yes, yeah, you know, yes. You got to think about it. You got to been there before, so you can go with them. You can carry them with you. Apparating. <gasps> I don't know. I I'm love sure J.K. Rowling thought of that. I know. I know. It's waiting. Also, she was waiting for us to figure it out. I know. I know. I feel like I find it helpful too in testing the waters is how much do they share with you? Are yeah. they exchanging mm. vulnerability with you? And there are different ways to do that, to exchange vulnerability. And for example, like my therapist doesn't tell me about her life, but I can experience her emotions and I can see how she's, she's responding to what I'm saying and how what I'm saying is affecting her. And that is a form of vulnerability that she's, she's feeling my emotions. She, she's in, she's in my story with me. And I think that can be a, a, a tell of just the work that someone has done on their own emotions and their ability to, to be with someone else in theirs. Absolutely. That's a great point. Very mm. good point. Totally agree with you. Good stuff. So you, you shared here that you struggle with depression or navigate depression. How, oh. have, you, how have you experienced the, the church interacting with you personally in something like depression? Yeah. I mean, for in some ways, like, I don't think I was ever really open with it until I was an RUF intern. And I was working with a minister who was himself depressed. 
and would even write about it and talk about it. I was very honest about it. One of my best friends still, Sammy Rhodes, he actually wrote a book called This Is Awkward and talks about just his life, like what he's been through. And one of those is depression. And so I didn't know that about him, but like, I felt totally safe walking with him through that. I won't say that that's every pastor, for sure not. And I think that it is, mental health is something that, and I think I did say this too, is just something, not only is it not talked about in culture, it is not talked about in the church. And if it is talked about, it's talked about in very, very weird ways. Like you said, there's a spectrum for sometimes how people talk about it. Specifically, just the fact that I think we're, we're basically practicing Gnostics. And by what I mean by that in the church is that like we, we have this dualism of, in some ways of like spirit and body. And if we just think the right way and do all this stuff, then we'll be fine. And like, nah, I don't know. I think we have to give credence to the fact that we're embodied creatures and that parts of our body don't always work right. One of the major parts of our body is our brain, um, one of the most complex organs of all. And, and we, we kind of, we kind of kind of shove that to the corner or to the side as though that's something very strange. I mean, how many sermons, and I'm going to implicate myself in this, but how many sermons in your time in growing up in the church have you heard on a whole sermon on Alzheimer's? a sermon on schizophrenia, a sermon on depression. Uh, and he's, because here's the thing. Most it, people in that congregation, they have people that they're dealing with that or know people that are or loved ones. And they have no idea how to do, walk through that. And I remember a professor in seminary saying that the topics that you refuse to preach on are the topics that your congregation is going to have to walk through without the light of God's word. And like, we just don't talk about that stuff. It's in the dark and it is not a good thing for that. It should not be in the dark at all. That's I'm, you're, I'm about to get on a hobby horse here. So you got to stop me. You got to get me off. Um, I'm about <laughs> why to is it box. not? Why is it not a good thing to talk about it? It is. We should talk about it. I mean, why is it? Yeah. I, did, I said that wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think that it's, it's unknown. You know, it's scary. It's weird. I mean, look at the way even, culture talks about it every horror movie almost every villain i mean i you know i love comic books they have like, schizophrenia or they, they are do. or they have multiple personality disorder oh yes. those are the best villains when they have multiple personality disorder <laughs> m night Shyamalan split oh know? gosh yeah. love that movie yeah love it i mean and it's entertaining that's true. You're, but, like, you think about but like and that. then you empathize with him because you're like I, I liked those characters <laughs> i know i know i know you're right but it's like all the villains in the Batman universe come from Arkham Asylum, you know, where it's just like everyone's like, there's like mental Dude. illness is scary. Mental illness is scary. It's uh, in our culture. It's something that's like associated with evil. Mm, um, You're so right. Yeah. I mean, it is. Think about every villain, the Joker even. I mean, they're all like deranged, whatever. And they're even called, you know, that. And it's like all the scary films talk, take place in like flickering asylums and everything. And it's like, this is scary. When it's like, well, you know, if Jesus were walking the earth, those would be the people that he would touch. They would be the lepers. They would be the ones that he would touch their touch them, right? Mm -hmm. And and heal and love and and their bodies aren't working well because of the fall. And there are a lot of people who how do you walk with someone whose wife is dying of Alzheimer's? Is what what are you, how are you going to walk with them through that? And 
why do we not talk about that in the church? And that's, and why don't we talk about depression? I mean, I've talked a lot about depression only at the church, but even in RUF groups and at UCLA and they did like a mental health and spirituality forum here. And people were very interested because it's something that's not talked about. And it's something that people really deal with and they have friends that deal with it and they feel guilty. They feel less than, and they feel spiritually deficient for experiencing those things. I think, you know, if I could, if that was, if we just wrap up a little bit, maybe on this too, if I was just talking to people who let's talk to Christians and we'll even call some people who they don't even know if they still are Christians because of the things they've experienced. By the way, I think that you could take the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, as to mean that in some ways to people who are mourning the fact that they're like, do I even have faith anymore? And they and God hears that internal cry, and Jesus says, bless you, will be comforted. So I, and so I mean, I want to like, in line in spirit with the Savior, want to offer some comfort to people who feel like they're maybe, they don't even know if they even have a fraction of a mustard seed of faith anymore. You know, one of my favorite verses in John has come to be very special to me. And this is John 6, 37, I believe. And Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and no one who comes to me will I ever cast out. The Greek is, I will never, no, never cast out. And I always thought that that verse meant that when we first initially come to Jesus, he'll never push us away. He'll just welcome us. And that is true. Jesus will welcome all who call to him and come to him. But I've had a pastor recently show me that it means something deeper than that, which Jesus is saying to the depressed disciple, the fearful, abused disciple, the barely believing, barely clinging on disciple, the hurt disciple. Jesus says, I will never, no, never cast you away. I will never cast you away. Though you feel very far from me, I have always been near. And I will show you my goodness, even though you can't feel it. And I will repay every evil that was done. And I will forgive every sin committed. And I will heal. And I will make this world right. And I will do it in you. And I will never cast you away. And that's the Savior's promise, because he says right after that, all that the Father's given to me, right, in my hand, I won't lose a single one of them. And so I think that's what Jesus is saying. And um, I think that's great comfort. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not quench a barely smoking wick of a candle. He won't do it. That's who he is. And that's, by the way, who God is. So we can take hope in that. Well, I'm so glad that your students have you. College uh, is a tumultuous, some, tumultuous yeah. time. Is you know, some of them maybe would say that. Maybe some of them would be like, "I got it." They don't he's, know. They don't. He's know. using outdated Harry Potter references. Harry Potter is never outdated. Well, I don't. I don't know if Gen Z would say that. I was told uh, that that's not true. What so. is wrong with Gen I Z? Know. What? I know. I can't use Harry Potter anymore. I've got to. I've got to start what? reading and looking at all this other Gen Z stuff to help me. I, I feel like an old man. Like, what's all these TikToks and TikToks? No, it's like I don't want to sound like one of those guys. I'm like, maybe I should, you know, like, what were they reading when they were kids? A Percy Jackson. What, I, I didn't read that. So, like, I need to go back and read that stuff. So, or, like, or just, like, watch shows that they watch. And, you know, yeah, so I, I've got to become, not that that matters, but, like, you know, I've got to 
I gotta know the mind of Gen Z, but I don't know. I go to I good. go to Harry Potter world and I see lots of young people wearing. That's true. It's I think it's gonna come make a comeback in some ways. You know, and I whatever. Just called other people, young people. I realized <laughs> I just did that. It's okay. That's okay. Definitely just did that. We um, are not part of that generation. You and I are millennials. Gen Z is great. I actually am coming to love Gen Z. I a love lot. Gen Z. The more I've been with them, love Gen Z. They're love Gen Z. Love Gen Z. Um, and I would love to learn more. They're and gonna do great things. Gen they Z's are. They already are things. doing great things, and they will do great things. I agree. Yeah. 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 podcast supports TearsOfEden.org, a community and resource for those in the aftermath of spiritual abuse. If you know someone who might benefit from the material of the podcast or the website, feel free to share it with them. And when you subscribe to the mailing list of TearsOfEden.org, I'll send you access to a 10-minute mindfulness meditation. Finally, I want to invite you to take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review on your favorite podcasting listening apparatus. I'll see you next time.